This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I remember what really, I think, put him over the top with that was uh, when he got his own boat. He got a, a Silver King, and he was using my boat, and uh, they'd use my skiffs, and actually both of them would, but... You know, Chris would do all the fishing in the bay boat and the skiffs, and I remember the, them going out. I see these pictures on the internet of a eight-foot lemon shark in the boat, <laughs> and, and they're holding its mouth open. And you know, the, I'm not there, of course. I have no idea. You know, they're 11, 12 years old, maybe. I don't know enough. I'm going like, what? How the heck? What are you guys doing out there? <laughs> oh, don't worry about us, Dad. We got it. We are the Trossett family, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. We've got a fantastic opportunity to talk to a legendary family, the Trossett family, and not just one of them, but all of them. We've got RT, the dad, who is a legendary sport fish captain. He's caught 239 world records as much as well as a ton of other things, tournament victories, legendary catches. I mean, the guy is like a uh, a, a book of he's he's almost mythical he's he's caught so much but he happens to be a good friend of mine he's also a super nice guy his two boys uh chris is following in his footsteps and also getting very innovative he's got an excellent reputation in the florida keys as a sport fishing captain as well and his brother robert owns a dive operation in Key West called Fins, F-I-N-Z, and that is also a great opportunity for you to get under the water. But these guys have a tremendous amount of knowledge. We're going to learn about where they came from, how they got started, and what they're doing today. All right, stand by for a great conversation with the Trossets. All right, I got the, I've, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. 
Um, there's a, a special family down in, in Key West that I'm friends with, the Trossets. Everybody knows the Trossets, but I've had RT on the podcast, and now I get the whole family. And I'm happy to have Chris and Robert Jr. also joining us today. So, guys, what's up? How are you guys doing? Pretty good. We're yeah. surviving the coronavirus and uh, been getting to do a little fishing, on, you know, with friends and stuff. So it's been a good time. Yeah. So, um, how what what's that been kind of like in your in your time, RT? You've probably seen the Florida Keys kind of shut down or be be temporarily closed for hurricanes of course we've all seen that but have you ever seen anything remotely like this nothing like this this is dead streets there's hardly anybody on the on the streets um you know people are being pretty good about it now there's you know there's a few people going out to the beaches and stuff but uh yeah i've never seen anything like it it uh Looks like old Mother Earth is getting a breath of fresh air. Yeah. If you could even say that. But, I mean, there's the traffic and fishing pressures and everything all over the world, I think, has uh, been held up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's really tough. I know I know that it's been um, been tough on a lot of the, the fishing guys. You know, it's it's tough on everybody. I don't know when, you're, when your kind of eyes were open to the fact that this was kind of real. I mean, I was watching it kind of happen in Washington and, and they were closing down a few things. And then, man, I was like, well, when they closed Disney world down, you know, I, that's when I know this is, this is a real deal. And then about the next day, that's what happened. And w- once I saw Disney world close, I, I knew, I knew this was, this was something we'd never seen before. Yeah. I think it was, it was about the second week of March and we were starting to get some cancellations with, you know, people just worried to travel. And all I could think is once the hotels shut down, if, if that happens, you know, we're done. We might be able to squeak a few charters out if they're still open. But once that happens, it's real now or we're out of business for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's tough. But you say that you are getting to go and and fish on your own. And, and what about commercial fishing? Is there, is that happening? So there's a little bit of commercial fishing going on. I see a couple of the guys going out getting, you know, yellowtails, just the basic stuff. But it's actually been pretty tough to sell because most of the restaurants down here are closed. There's no real market to to get rid of the fish. So a lot of the guys are going once, you know, maybe twice a week instead of once a day. Right. And that's that's a big difference between, you know, like a hurricane that would close down the restaurants in the Keys or or a, a certain area of the keys, you know, like if we got a bad hurricane, it might be bad from Key West to Marathon, but then the upper keys would, would kind of be okay, you know, in the, in the situation of a hurricane. This is different because now not even the, uh, the um, places in New York or like where the big fish houses would be selling, like all of those restaurants are closed too. Like this is kind of a global, global situation that is, unprecedented i think I, I don't know you just hear different things like commercial fishing people probably don't think about that like there's no market for the fish because there's no restaurants open right yeah most of the fish is consumed in restaurants not in homes so it's just by chance that you know, those guys are out of work as long as well as everybody else 
that's down here pretty much. I mean, it's just the very basics, just minimum going on to survive right now. Yeah. Um, what has it been like to for you to go out fishing with friends? I've been following like on Instagram, I've been seeing you guys catching some tarpon and, um, you know, going out and fishing with friends. Is it like going back RT to 20, 30 years ago where there's nobody on the water? Well, the other day when we went out, um, there was quite a few boats out, but it, it was all guides. So, but the fishing was really good. And I think it's, uh, the fishing has just been phenomenal. It's a shame that we're not open for business because we have just been hammering fish every time we go out. It's just whatever you want to do is good. So, so yeah, it's kind of, I guess it's kind of like the old days. I mean, you don't have a bunch of jet skis running around the island now, which is uh, or running around the backwaters and stuff that would actually, you know, actually affects our fishing. So yeah. it's made it a lot more laid back. And it, it, I think quieted down a lot quicker than you would expect. Yeah. When uh, when you say that Mother Earth is getting a breath of fresh air, what do you think this little downtime? I mean, like I always try to look for the silver lining in anything. And and yes, everybody's struggling right now. But what what do you guys see as as the upside as far as the fisheries concerned? As far as you know, the fish or the spots or any of that is concerned. It'll it'll definitely take some pressure off off of certain spots, I think, you know, for an extended period of time that usually we're not going to have, especially in the springtime, you know, this is prime time. There's usually everybody's fishing every day this time of year. So we'll see how that affects next year's fishery or even the year after, you know, maybe yeah. a few extra spawning fish might stay in the water and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it'll yeah, be interesting. Fun. Now that's my uh, my thought exactly. I mean, it we really have you know it, it's amazing without all the noise. There's no airplane noise. There's hardly any traffic. Um, it's 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 really like not a ghost town, but you can tell that everybody's been affected. So yeah, the yeah. silver lining is is probably you know I hope in the people are that didn't get to come and hopefully they don't you know, lose all their money and the stock market and all that. We're fortunate. I think we have a pretty good clientele that will make it through this. All right. So, um, I think it's going to be a boom in business as soon as, uh, as soon as we get back out of this. Yeah. I would think that it, it is definitely, I, I think everything's going to come roaring, roaring back because you, you have this pent up demand, like everybody should be doing the things that they want to do. And nobody's able to really do them right now. So I think there's going to be a real pent up demand. And I think that, you know, once this blows over, I don't know how long that's going to take, but once it blows over, I think that everything's going to come roaring back. And then the, you know, the fishing, just like after a hurricane, you know, it probably would be better than, better than we can expect. Yeah. I think it's, it's like that. How's your diving going, Robert? I mean, you've, you've been out a few times. Yeah, well, amazingly, the diving, the water quality, the, you know, fish life is all right there. Um, there's no other dive boats going out, really, you know, just personal stuff, people going, you know, sightseeing. So you see a lot less pressure on the, you know, major dive spots, such as the Vandenberg and 
and the big reef sites. So it'll be a good a good break for those sites to be able to to kind of come back a little bit, get a little another foothold, um, start building up the species and corals and fish and stuff to to try to get a root and grow again. Because you know we've had a lot of a lot of unfortunate events in the past few years with you know water temperatures and discharges, um, groundings that have kind of been a big detriment to our reef system. Yeah. I guess the other breath of fresh air that, that mother nature is getting is that the cruise ships have stopped running completely. Right. Yeah. I noticed, uh, even it was like a week and a half ago, they had already been shut down for a little while. And I mean, just the water quality in the Harbor, you know, they, they turn up every time they come in the Harbor and Mm -hmm. that not happening for two or three weeks. It's, it's been a lot clearer there. Yeah. You know, I, I could see bottom in the Harbor one of the days and that hasn't happened in a long time. Wow. <laughs> that, that is incredible. So, um, we were just talking about Robert diving. So you guys all grew up with your dad as a legendary sport fishing captain. I'm kind of interested, especially, um, with Robert, how you took the, the dive path. And and then Chris took the fishing path. Like, how did that happen for you guys? It was, it was such a, you know, just lifestyle for us, just out on the ocean, you know. And we, my dad loves fishing, so we'd always go fishing. And I love fishing, and Chris loves fishing, of course. But I really took a liking to in the water rather than on the water. You know, you get to get in there and experience what's going on face to face rather than trying to kind of feel what's going on through your fishing line and through you know what what all is you know happened on the surface so i took a good interest in in the underwater part and i'm kind of a real technical person so i like tasks and learning and you know little little events like that so the diving is real technical as far as you know learn your stuff do your do your things right follow the rules so that kind of led into what I really enjoy. We all we all dove a lot. I mean, at first, a lot of snorkeling, and there was a lot of lobster diving. And I don't think we did a whole lot of spearfishing to begin with. You did, you. But he would just want to stay in the water all the time. We'd want to go. Let's go flat fishing now. We already caught a lot, or something like that. So, yeah, he was always into the water part of it. And Chris is an accomplished free diver and. You know, he, he can do do some damage on a lobster when he, when it's his turn. So <laughs> oh, I'm sure. And I've seen, I've seen lots of his posts on Instagram where, you know, and I'm sure that Robert is, is quite an accomplished angler too, but it's just interesting to see the different paths. Like I see that with my boys, you know, that were, that were raised in Key West as well. And one of them likes hunting way more than the other one. And the other one likes fishing way more than, than hunting, but they like both and they're accomplished at both things. But it, I think back about, you know, when they were growing up and, and, and just different little things that, that happened that I saw all of a sudden that the, the interest was, was sparked, you know, in, in my oldest son, Turner, his interest was sparked, you know, on a, on an early hunting trip where he, he killed, you know, like a, a spike, little, little spike, uh, white tail. And man, that just, that did it for him. He was just like, yeah, that's what I like. And, you know, it's almost like the fishing was, um, you, you, that was something that was there for you all the time, but this was different, you know, like it was, it was something that was, 
it was different for him. And then from that point on, man, he just was all about the hunting and then went on to go to Montana and get all into elk hunting and even do a little elk guiding out there. And if I were to, if someone were to ask, like, does he like hunting or fishing better? I would definitely say hunting. And then my other son's a different way. So I don't know if I was just kind of wondering if there were, there were things like that that happened with you guys, like, you know, Chris choosing to, to keep diving as diving and spear fishing and all that, keep that as a hobby where you, you use fishing as a profession. And that's, that's kind of an interesting thing because sometimes when you take your, you you know, what you love and you start to do it as a profession, it changes things a little bit. And some people protect like their passions and they don't want to do that for a living. Have you guys ever thought about that with the diving or the fishing? I mean, with, with fishing with me, it's, I mean, it's definitely what I love more than anything. Diving, you know, I like to get in the water every now and then. But uh, even from an early age, my dad had told me, you know, don't burn yourself out too much on fishing, you know, especially if you want to do it for a job. You <laughs> might, might ruin it for yourself. And I've never, never even come close to being able to do that yet. Um, you yeah. know, every day I get up to go charter fun fishing whatever it doesn't matter the weather the you know anything i'm just excited to go but i'm definitely lucky that i i enjoy it this much yeah chris has always i mean and robert both has always uh loved the fishing part i remember what really i think put him over the top with that was uh when he got his own boat he got a, a silver king and he was using my boat and uh, they'd use my skiffs and actually both of them would, but you know, Chris would do all the fishing in the bay boat and the skiffs. And I remember the, them going out and I see these pictures on the internet of a eight foot lemon shark in the boat <laughs> and, and they're holding its mouth open. And, you know, the, I'm not there, of course, I have no idea. You know, they're 11, 12 years old, maybe, I don't know enough. I'm going like, what? How the heck? What are you guys doing out there? <laughs> oh, don't worry about us, Dad. We got it. So, but the, the best thing with Chris, I mean, when he got his own boat, he he literally you, you couldn't keep him around the dock. I mean, he's he's out all the time, and and I know he loves it that much now because on his days off, I mean, he'll go fishing every day he can. If it's good weather, he'll sword fish, or he'll be out fly fishing with Jared and what, all his buddies, or whatever and then robert has had a boat since he was 10 and um he did the same things i mean he that boat was very special to them they they had their own bay to run around in and um robert on his days off a lot of times they go diving they can't wait to get down to tortugas or do something kind of special or fancy like you know different like that although he does take a lot of trips to the tortugas yeah so when, when it first started, when did, how did you decide that, that the boys were ready for a boat? I mean, you're in the, you're in the keys and obviously they're going fishing with you all the time. I mean, that's my, my kids were waiting on the seawall when I'd get back from the charter and I'd keep extra bait in the boat and then I'd take them out for a couple hours. And I felt like they were, you know, doing, doing well and kind of knew what was going on, but you're still, you know, it's the ocean. There are storms, there are situations. How did, how did you kind of decide that it was, it was time for them to, to be cut loose? And how did that, how did that work? Well, the 
first thing that happened is Robert was in a, was a Gator Club Dolphin tournament when he was 10, and he won a boat and motor. He won the tournament. <laughs> well, that makes that it a little four, easier. <laughs> there. 45 pound dolphin, he caught, yeah. And uh, so it was a 100 horse, and I think it was a 20 foot Carolina skiff or something. It was a big boat. And uh, so I, I sold it and got him a, what was the first motor? 20? 15. 15. And it was on a 12 foot Carolina skiff. And he, they used to run around the bay. And so I gave him all kinds of responsibilities. I mean, he'd take his buddies out, but they all had to wear life jackets. If he didn't have the life jackets on, the boat was going away, that type of thing. Um, and I've watched him bring the kids back, get out of my boat. The guy said, no, I'll put my life jacket on now. But Robert just said, no, you, you, my, you ain't getting my boat taken away. So get out. Yeah. And uh, I think the day that I realized that Robert was really ready was I see him out in the bay and he's he's stuck you know something's wrong and uh so then i see him messing with the gas tank and he tips the gas tank on in and pumps what little bit of gas is left in the tank into the motor and you know he got his way in so and i was watching him from the porch and i said well he probably should be allowed to go out of the bay now he, he can think his way through through these projects like that or think you know emergencies that come up or should have never ran out of gas in the first place, but it, <laughs> but it, but at least he figured out how to get back. So that was the time I think I decided he was really ready to go by himself and, and do things. I also took him over to shark channel fishing for tarpon a lot. So that they would get their tie. They would drive back at night dark. And so they knew the water pretty good. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've cringed when they're driving down the edge of the mangroves. Cause to get in our place, you have to drive. I mean, right on the mangroves right uh, and oh no i'm just like always grabbing the wheel and then finally i said yeah i think they figured it out so <laughs> we made it a few times then and, and chris was you know they always love to go to shark channel tarpon fishing so i just had to turn them loose what were you guys 12 by then or maybe a little younger 10 or 12 yeah you were 10 probably yeah robert was 12 <clears throat> so yeah so and they still love fishing the Shark Channel, so that's awesome. Well, that's a pretty special spot. So, Chris, what about you? How did what did your first boat look like? Um, my first boat that I owned was the Silver King. Okay, I had asked numerous times for a boat when I was younger, and my dad just kept saying, "Just use mine. You know, you can just use the skiff. Take that. We don't need another boat." So then, finally, uh, I think I was. 18 or 19 when i bought that boat and mainly to start guiding on and you know start to make some money at it um so it was it was nice having my own equipment then and uh being able to take that boat make some money on that and then i bought my first uh offshore center console a 29 cv um and that that really opened doors up that was that was when it you know i could afford to go out every day in the big boat and you know there there wasn't many days that i was on land right so what what year or how old were you guys when you got your captain's license 18 to the day 18 to the day both of you (laughs) (laughs) i was a little bit after 18 but it was pretty close yeah so that was kind of like I mean, that's the the youngest that you can get it. So they'll give it to you when you're 18 if you can pass the test or whatever. And then that's the, 
you know, as, as a person growing up in the, in the Florida Keys, you know, other people might look at that as, um, that's when you can, uh, drive a car or, or, you know, when you're 16, you get a, you have the opportunity to drive a car when you're 18, some places, I guess you could smoke cigarettes, other places when you're 21, you can drink, drink liquor now that's, but the 18 for the captain's license, there are a lot of keys kids that have that kind of as a, as a goal. So did you have aspirations immediately of making money at 18 through fishing or diving? So not so much right away as, as making money, but just as creating a lifestyle, you know, of, of non-work kind of having fun every day you go to work um, kind of way of, of living. Um, I had part-time jobs and, you know, other things I did in line with being a captain, running fishing charters, running dive charters, whatever it was for the day. But it it was really you know, opening up the opportunity to just start something. And I didn't really know what I wanted at that moment, you know, turning 18. So I went to college for a few years, ran charters in the summer, came back, went, you know, back and forth until I finally fell into the, the dive world. So you graduated college. I did graduate. So when you go, <laughs> when you go away to college and you're looking, you, you've got this kind of, thing that you could always come back to and you're looking forward to it. What do you choose to study in college? Like, do you, do you have that as a, as a kind of like, I'm going to try to study something that would help me with this, this lifestyle that you're building or did you have other thoughts? I started out in engineering. I found out I did not like math that much. <laughs> That's a lot of math. Oh yeah. Didn't realize that at the first part. At the beginning, but I thought engineer. I thought you drove a train when you were an engineer. That's how much I knew about when I got to college. They were like, "You're going to be an engineer." I was like, "Man, a lot of people want to be engineers. I never even see trains that much." Like (laughs) I I was that naive. (laughs) Uh, You know, it kind of fell into business. You know, graduated with a business degree, and that really helped out quite a bit. But it was more the hands-on, real-world experience that I was getting. You know, running different uh different aspects of the family business you know, the mechanic um aspect of it, you know fixing motors fixing bilge pumps for everybody uh worked at home depot learned a lot about you know just how things actually work so you know i didn't know what i wanted or, or kind of why i wanted it but everything just kind of worked into place with with what i was doing yeah that's cool he- he was uh, meant to be a business. I mean, he always wanted to be a, have a business. And, you know, he has a Finn's Dive Shop here in Key West, and he sells tackle. And, but his first, his first uh, business was a 10 by 10 building off to the side. I don't know if you remember that over at the Hurricane Hole, but it had a dive flag on it. Yeah. And he had, uh, you know, he'd rent his boat out of there, and he sold masks and fins and maybe a couple of spear guns. It, it was almost like it wasn't a business, but it was. <laughs> and uh, when he got the opportunity to take over the tackle shop up at the upstairs there, at hurricane hole. He, uh, he went into a wholeheartedly and uh, he's made a heck of a business out of it. Now it's fantastic to see that. That's awesome. So Chris, you start out in a, um, in a silver King. What, 
was it that did you always have your sights set on moving to to an offshore boat when you were able to kind of raise the money to 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 get one or was there was there some sort of uh, a transition there? I made mean, as long as I can remember. I I had wanted to be a fishing guide. Um, you know, even from a young kid, that was that was always my goal. I've always enjoyed offshore fishing more. Um, you know, there's just so much more variety, so much so much more can happen. Um, so that was it. Was definitely more of a stepping stone having that boat. Um, something I could afford to go out on and really afford to start a business. And, you know, I think it was, I think I paid five grand for the boat and motor when I got it. So <laughs> that was pretty easy to get into. Um, but it offshore has definitely always been the goal and, uh, you know, running a center console and doing all the, all the stuff that RT has been able to take us to do as kids and being able to to do that on our own now it's it's definitely uh definitely the plan well, the, the cool thing is is you know he's taken a lot of stuff that i've taught him but he steps it up a notch with his own you know it, he puts his own flair on the things and he sees things a lot differently than an old man like i do yeah and by you know by having that useful vision or she's next to me every day i i learn a lot of stuff from him nowadays so uh, yeah, but don't you think pretty, that's don't you think that's the same thing that Bob Montgomery was saying about you? You know, when, when yeah. you know, it's like I think that that if when you get a fresh new perspective on the same knowledge, you're always going to see kind of a, a a jump. You know, like and and these boys were were fortunate enough to to be seeing what you were doing, and I mean, you grew up, they grew up with you setting what over a hundred world records off the Oceanside dock, seeing all of that happen and then start thinking about, well, when I, you know, when I get there, this is how I'm going to do it. And some of it probably worked and some of it probably didn't. Um, uh, you probably at some point you're probably like, man, dad really knew what he was doing. Um, <laughs> can't figure out a way to do this better, but there's also many other things that they probably did figure out much better ways to do it. Uh, no doubt. I mean, Chris swordfish the daylights out of that. I mean, he's really way better than I would ever be at that. And he he just you know he he goes to places that I you know I'm saying like nah I wouldn't go there today. And then but he's got the right you know he's always doing the right thing. You know he's always getting on the fish. Uh, he's a heck of a fisherman now. I'll tell you what he's going to be one of the best ever lived in the Keys. So. So Chris, do you have, um, do you have anything like when your dad was, was coming up, like one of the big things was setting world records and he was in a, he was in an environment over there at Oceanside Marina, you know, with, with Delph and Jose and Kenny Harris and all these guys are, are doing some incredible things, which really drove innovation it drove, you know, there was some competition to set all these records um, and sport fishing really took off really from that dock and from those individuals. There were a lot of things that, that came to, came to be that we now think of as just conventional ways of doing things. Is there something that drives you like the records were driving them? 
do you like the tournaments or do you like records or do you, do you just like to charter or what is it that drives you right now? I mean, I, I definitely think that I, I always try to do push it a little further, you know, instead of just catching fish on dead bait or live bait, you know, be able to catch them on a plug or a fly or, you know, something like that. Um, unfortunately, you know, the, the record thing is not quite a thing of the past, but it's, it's definitely not what it used to be down here. Um, even from seeing my dad's old, old, uh, clients, you know, they would show up with all their own gear and have 12 pound, 10 pound, eight pound, you know, rods designated for certain fish and know the fish they want to catch. And nowadays, you know, it's a lot more just meat on the dock and fill the freezer and that kind of stuff. But I, I try to show people the other side of it and, you know, show them how, how to fish better, you know, instead of just filling the box. Um, that kind of keeps me going a little further, gets me to run a little further on my trips and, you know, put a little more effort in, catch more bait, more live bait and things like that. Yeah. One interesting thing I think would be a, a cool perspective to hear from all three of you since, you know, from, from an older perspective to a dive perspective to a younger fishing perspective is, is how the, this business, this lifestyle has changed um, with technology, particularly social media, and particularly how you're getting trips. I mean, when when you started RT, it was a whole different thing. Like you showed up, you had to pay your dues at Oceanside. I'm assuming you started getting referrals from some of the other guides. That was probably the 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 best way when I started. It wasn't very different than that. And then today, it's a it's a completely different world you guys got any thoughts on on how that's changed and what you see these boys doing to to generate their business that's you never even considered or thought about you know 30 years ago oh yeah um when i first started my business was first uh you know just hand me downs get a charter here and there then uh the word of mouth the people would say well we had a great time with our team that's good let's go back or and then her buddy would come down to fish. And then, you know, like you were saying, we, I grew up in a great environment that was made for, you know, fishing. I mean, we had the Met tournament and everybody was big fishing clubs in Miami. And, uh, you know, they were all participating, trying to catch the biggest fish on the lightest tackle. And I kind of just got in there right at the base of that a little bit later than it, than it started, but I fell right into that. It was, you know, what I want to do is keep taking the people, um, keep taking, you know, taking them out for, for their big fish on light tackle and try to win trophies for them in the Met. And we have the Key West Fishing Tournament, which is uh, still running, but it, it just doesn't have the, it has participation, but it doesn't have the want of participation. Most people do that tournament just because the captain said, hey, you got a good fish, let's turn it in. Whereas, you know, I had everybody from Miami coming down and that's all they wanted to do was that they just wanted to win the master angler, you know, and they would sink 30 days a year into something like that. So right. I got tons of, um, tons of business that way. And, you know, then it was, well, I'd answer the telephone and 
it, it just you had to you had to spend so much time on the phone just to get one charter. I'm sure you remember that. Absolutely. And finally, I started answering the phone on a Tuesdays, Wednesday, or Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and you know I'd return my calls, and and that worked for a while because people still really wanted to go fishing. <laughs> but with the advent of the cell phone and the with uh, websites and stuff, I noticed quickly if I didn't call somebody back immediately, I'd call them back, you know, and two hours later, and say, oh, we found somebody else on the internet. Yeah, and so it got to be where really you needed to answer your phone in the boat if you really wanted to get more more charged. Yeah, so that I'm, was that was such a big difference because you know, like when I started, you know, I'm around guys like Simon Becker and you know, Marshall Cutchin and these guys like this that are very busy and I'm not busy at all. And they would offer the referral. And I was always careful not to call back too soon because you'd seem desperate. Like you want to call, you want to let it sit for like a day and then, Oh yeah, I just got, just got in. Yeah. I got so many messages. Sorry. They got piled up and, and you could kind of, you could kind of play it off that it wasn't going to be your third charter of your entire career that way. But boy, like you talk about the the advent of the cell phone that changed everything, and now it's a race to call back. Um, but but then, you know, it'll be interesting to hear Robert to address this too with his business background. But then, after the cell phone and the websites, what did you see then, RT? Well, that's it. I mean, I, I I've uh, I'm really bad at Facebooking and and doing the uh, Instagrams and stuff. So we got a thing where all three of us do trusted outdoors. So we post quite a bit on that. Chris does most of it, but uh, so that way we kind of equally share our experiences with everybody, and we also, you know, they can pick who they want to book with. If they, you know, if they want to do the diving or if they want to go with Chris or I, you know, a lot of guys pick Chris. He's a lot stronger. He can pull the anchor better, I guess. <laughs> but that, let, let Chris talk about that, and Robert, because the 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 nowadays stuff because they are marketing themselves and um and and your sponsors so what do you think guys yeah um, i mean it's it's definitely an an awesome tool nowadays um you know you can you can really show what's going on to people i mean instantly it's they can see what you're catching that day you know and i think a lot of the trips that we get from it are kind of last minute. They see a, a pile of fish that we caught and they're like, Oh, I want to come do that. And we'll send a message on social media and book a day a week out or so. Um, so it's, it's not a huge part of my bookings yet. Um, you know, I pick a trip up here and there. A lot of it's still word of mouth and, and uh, referrals, but, um, it, it's definitely growing for, for myself. Um, to, to keep me busy. Another great thing about it is just keeping track of what's happening up the keys and, you know, where the sailfish body is at, you know, how far down have they made it? Have they seen any bluefins migrating yet? Or, you know, how's the fishing in the Gulf? You can, you can keep tabs on people pretty easily. Nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, did you see the the video of the tuna off the bridge it looked like seven mile bridge but it could have been long key bridge yeah the the very next day we i was actually watching it and that's been a big goal of mine is hook one of those fish when they're swimming through and 
the next day, I think we saw one of the schools that they saw off of, uh, it was Alamrata or Marathon. It was like 20 or 30 fish. And I'm pretty sure it was the same one, same school. And we got a, got a few good shots at them. Um, we were all rigged up, ready to go and just didn't get a bite on them. But yeah, that's what do you, what do you guys think is going fun. on? What's, what's happening when those tuna are coming into that incredibly shallow water and, and you see them at the bridge like that? Like why, why is that happening? He, he just got lost there. I think, you know, he, they're going up to the Gulf to spawn, you know, and eventually they got to turn North, you know, whether it's through Rebecca channel or even Key West Harbor or West of the fort. Mm-hmm. So he might've just took his turn a little early. Yeah. There's, there's been a few uh, swordfish caught up around Florida Bay um, over the years. I think they caught one in channel two bridge six or seven years ago. Just they get lost, I guess. Wow. They're, they're actually eating. I mean, I've known a, a Ralph caught one, right? Yeah. Ralph Delph caught one way, way long time ago, but then Skip uh, Nielsen caught one on the flats on the edge of a flat. A swordfish? A swordfish. Yeah. On a mullet, 90, 90 pounder or something. Wow. And uh, they caught, they caught one at channel two bridge. Just some, they were, I don't think they were guides. They were just uh, locals, you know, snapper fish or something. This thing rolled up and they caught it somehow. So. That's that's definitely one of the stranger things that I've I've heard about. The strangest thing that I think that I've seen out, you know, fishing was, you know, fly fishing for the tarpon around seven channels. And I see two what seem to be about 40 pound dolphin coming down the ocean, just like the tarpon. And I'm wow. looking and I see something coming. You know, I tell my angler, OK, we got two more fish coming, but they look weird. I don't know. You know, it's like, is that a permit? Is that, what is that? They get closer and closer and closer. I'm like, damn, those are dolphin. They swim right by the boat. I start pulling after them. They go up into one of those channels, just like that tuna was doing at the, uh, at the bridge in the video, like these two big dolphin just go up in the channel and kind of mill around a little bit. And then, then I couldn't keep up with them anymore. But that's one of the strangest things that, that I've seen. I could never, I, I just figured just like you just said, like, lost i guess like it's just kind of weird because they seem to be perfectly healthy they were you know i think they even took a look at the fly but didn't eat it and um you know it wasn't a very good shot because we were kind of a long way away but um what do you think what do you what are the strangest things that you guys have seen rt you've got to have some wild like a swordfish and off the edge of a flat that sounds pretty weird but yeah i think one of the weirdest things i've ever seen out there was a what kind of fish was that? That was that silver. Oh, the oarfish. Oarfish. An oarfish. I was out in 2,000 feet of water dolphin fishing, and I see this thing on the surface. It looks like a mylar ribbon, 10 feet long. I'm, I drive over there, and I tell my mate, I said, gap that, he says. And, he, <laughs> and it looked like it was still, I mean, even when he pulled up on it, it was so shiny. It was unbelievable. And he gapped it, and he squealed like a little baby. This thing's alive. But it really was it's a pilot whale had surfaced near us when I saw that. And evidently he had bitten his head off. And then there were puncture wounds down the side of this thing from their big old round teeth. And, uh, you know, we took it in and I, I don't think anybody ate it. We were thinking, we, you know, let's try it. But that fish was too weird to eat, I guess. Yeah. 
That's a weird looking fish. I've seen pictures of those where people are, you know, you got 10 guys holding them, but holding up one of those things. Yeah. It, they're, they're really, they have a bunch of teeth in their mouth and had to have, this one didn't have his head, but that was a weird, weird thing. What about you guys? What are you saying, Robert? Uh, I've seen all kinds of weird stuff on the bottom. I and mean, you really get to see the, the behaviors of fish and, you know, how they're different than you think when you're there. Um, I see, see these fish coming in and trying to just nibble at a piece of bait. You think, oh, it's going to do that every time. Well, they're not. They're, a lot of times they're coming in full steam and they know exactly which one's going to get it. Um, so that's that's an interesting thought on you know fishing and how <clears throat> how to really go after the fish. There's a Two or three years ago, we were fishing in the quicksands, um, catching these permit that were schooled up on a wreck, just a giant number of them, more than we had ever seen there. And we had fished them for probably two or three weeks and no sharks on them, nothing. So, uh, you know, it was really great, easy to catch them, easy to land them. Um, and then one day I get there and I'm looking for them and I can't see them anywhere. You know, it's a giant school. Um, giant school. You know, you could see them from half a mile away. I'm looking around, and finally, I realize that they're balled up around this wreck. I mean, they looked like they were part of the wreck because they were mm -hmm. so close to it. You know, like a ball of sardines yeah. heads, where they're all swimming back into the into the school. And these are, you know, 15, 20 pound permit. And then all of a sudden, this porpoise comes through and just shoot just hits them with their tail you know like you see on national geographic really? shoots them into the air and you know one of them gets knocked out and another porpoise goes over and grabs them and that happened for it was about half an hour 45 minutes they were just pounding these things against the wreck wow and eventually they just got what they needed and the fish got off the wreck and went back to normal life and we caught plenty of them that day but that was something different than I had ever seen. Pretty. I've never pretty seen cool. a porpoise. I've never seen a porpoise prey on permit. That's, that's yeah, pretty I mean, cool. The first, first splash I saw, I could have sworn it was a shark that came through. And then, you know, I saw him come up and I mean, they were knocking him into there like, like a killer whale would do to a seal. It was impressive. <laughs> wow. That's, that is, that's, I've never seen that before. You know, you, you always think that, you know, maybe, maybe you've seen most of, of what you're going to see out there and then something like that happens and you just, it's different every day. There's something new all the time. Yeah. We were fishing at Flamingo one time and the, uh, see all this, you know, fusion up on the, on the flat and uh, there's a bunch of baby tarp all up there trying to huddle together and, same thing, porpoise flying after eating eight and 10 pound target. Wow. And, I mean, that was in like, they're, they're back for other water, you know, barely could swim in that water to get to them, but they were tearing them up. They must have ate four or five of them that I saw. Wow. So you never know what, what things are going to eat or what they, you know, how they get a chance at it. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, there's so many different things. Anyway, getting back on the on the the social media thing, like all of these things, you know, that is one of the things that happens with social media is that people see these crazy things like this and happen. Everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket now, so they happen to get it. I've seen more crazy things that you, if somebody told you that they saw a tuna off the bridge, you'd be like, eh, probably a big Jack Cravel guy probably didn't know what he was talking about. But then there's a video. You're like, no, that's a, look at that. That's a huge tuna, like right off the bridge. You can see the bridge. You can see everything. I saw this, um, this, this video of a, um, it was a, a, a crocodile up around um, Flamingo that had a pelican in his mouth and swam right by this guy, right by the bow of this guy's boat. That was, that was pretty cool. Cause you always hear people talk about stuff like that. Like I, I saw a shark take a, take a wading bird, you know, in the Marquesas or whatever. And man, I'd like to see that sometime. But then you see this video like, damn, look at that thing. Ate that bird. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. Yeah. We see a few, little bit of that. Well, Robert's probably the one that does the most with those, websites and the marketing because he's got the dive shop and that so when he will play a little bit about what you're doing there yeah so from uh you know my standpoint i've had that big business background i went heavy into online i think that was the key uh so we do you know facebook instagram that kind of stuff posts but also a, a beautiful you know website put together and I started that as, as soon as I could, as soon as I started the business, because everybody searches online right away. You know, you can get your stuff out there with the with the social media, with their, you know, videos and pictures and Instagram and all that stuff. But you got to reel them in and give them a lot of good information about what you're doing and what what they can expect when they come to actually see you. So we kind of laid everything out. Um, on on our website of you know exactly how how we do things, what we dive, what you know what to expect, uh, which has really helped. And I went early into online bookings. I think for you know for water sports, you know fishing industry kind of thing. So we were able to book online and, and have people not even wait a second to know that they could go out with me, you know, go out diving, go out spearfishing or whatever. And right from the beginning, did you set that up to where it's totally automated? At the very first, we couldn't fully automate it. Right. So it was more of a, you know, Hey, you want to book this day? You know, send it, it kind of looks like it's automated, but it sends us an email and said, okay, yeah, you know, we'll get back to you on it. Uh, but it felt like you were getting an instant response, you know, like it was, it was, done and booked and ready and then we'd work with your schedule and try to try to get you into it but now it is 100 percent fully automated the schedule is live if the day is booked it's not even on this on the calendar so that's really helped a lot we get tons of bookings with without ever meeting talking to the customer emailing it's just bam they come up they show up on you know monday and we're out having a great time with them so that's that's the biggest thing is being a coming up, you know, answering the phone and, you know, getting word of mouth to this automated book. And I didn't, you know, I fought it for a long time. I have it now too, but it's pretty cool. You just, you know, if 
you're sitting there and it pops up. They booked the day, they paid the deposit. And, uh, but my biggest thing was, well, you know, you do need to talk to people a little bit and let them know what's going on. Uh, you know, you want to get a feel for what they want to fish for and stuff, but you know, it, it works out pretty good this way. You know, we usually end up talking, you know, after they book it and, and get in the book, but, uh, um, <clears throat> Yeah, it's, it's, it just was one of the hardest things for me to adjust to. Yeah. Well, you know, you were, you were one of the guides that basically at, at one point it seemed booked for life, you know, like you got, you got this customer base that keep coming back. Now you're getting more and more particular. I don't I mean, not necessarily you, but just a guide that, that is in that situation of being very popular, a lot of word of mouth. Now you're very careful of, you know, you don't want to just take anybody like at the time of the records, you want people that are looking to do the same type of fishing that you're doing. And now you're going to just anybody that books the day is who's going that I can see why you would fight it. That's a, that's a big difference, but it also eliminates that race to answer the cell phone or, or even to the point of like, I got a fish in range today because I don't have a trip for tomorrow. So I need to, I need this phone to ring as opposed to I'm going to where the fish are, whether, you know, whether that's in range or out of range, doesn't matter now because they can just book. Right. Yeah. We, we usually go the distance we got to go, you know, well, but, you, you, know, you do, but not, not everybody does. Yeah. For some people that is a consideration that, you know, they're, they're looking for that next trip. So fortunately I have a captain now that so some of these trips that get booked online, you know, he's going to take them. I don't really want to fish every day. Um, especially if it's somebody, I don't know. It's I, I do, I do want to fish, but it's, uh, I could be a little more choosy that way. Yeah. I think get you've earned it. That I, need. I think you've get earned that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, um, so for the, um, for the fully automated booking, you guys do that. All of you for the whole Trosset outdoors, that's, you can book diving or fishing, either one. Absolutely. And, and did you, one of our websites. did you learn how to like build that website or, or all of a sudden after a while, there's some third party kind of plugins that you can use to to create that for you. So the beginning for me, you know, I, I kind of built this thing with help from other people. Cause obviously I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but now it's so easy. It's just, you know, drag and drop little modules into the website and everything's set. There's, you know, it's a lot more functional now too, rather than when I was trying to kind of figure out how to code this website, and put it all in. And, uh, you know, Everybody else, you know, Chris and my dad have also built their own way of doing it too. They're not using quite the same modules as as I am because their business is a little different. You know, they want to they want to go a little a little more personal way. You know, with um, with how they have to interact with people. So I think both of them will call and talk to everybody pretty much before the the trip. Whereas mine is. You know, at diving, it's kind of you expect to go diving a certain way, so I can be a lot more hands off with the bookings itself. 
um, and more hands-on when they actually get to the boat. You know, we we get to our you know adventure, our fun. Hmm. Cool. So as we kind of bring this to a close, we've got some pretty cool stories, but I want to ask a couple of questions. One, now that there aren't any any there aren't any tourists down there, and when you get to go fishing with your friends. A lot of times guides will kind of hold something back a little bit like this. Is, maybe it's nighttime tarpon fishing or maybe it's going to a certain spot that you kind of keep for yourself or family or, or whatever. Like it's something kind of, kind of special. I'd like to know, like when there's nobody out on the ocean, if you had your choice of going to do whatever you wanted to do, what would it be? It's just like any other day, I think. I mean, whatever is happening, there's so much that goes on in Key West. Like the last few days, we spent one day on the Atlantic side, catching tunas and sailfish and mahi and stuff. The next day, we ran into the Gulf, and these are both trips with buddies. And uh, my dad fished that day as well. We both ran out in the Gulf and caught tunas and giant mangrove snappers and, you know, did all the the golf fish and the shrimp boats. And so it's, you know, really what's happening. Um, you know, I think tomorrow, or the next day, we're going to go flats fishing because the weather looks a little nicer. We're going to try to stick some of those tarpon that have been showing up. Um, we're not picky usually, you know, it's, <laughs> we're looking for the best. We'll, we'll best run, time. <laughs> we'll run us a little farther sometime, you know, just, just cause we can handle it. Um, you know, a lot of people can't take the boat rides down in the Tortugas. Uh, but when you can pick the weather and choose, as you know, all the fishing down here, you can be on it every day instead of it's blowing 20 out of the north. You don't want to go fly fishing for tarpon. Right. Probably want to go out on a out on a reef or out in you know the, the Atlantic and do something with the tunas or kings or maybe even wahoos or sails and whatever. So that's kind of it. Now, I know Robert, the first thing he likes to do is I tail to the Tortugas. Yeah. If I'm going anywhere, I'm going to the Tortugas. Hmm. It's just, it's such a distant off, you know, special place that there's nothing, nothing like it. You know, it's I, what I would imagine is Key West in the old days, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. Has, have, uh, has anybody been able to spearfish any of those big tuna coming through? Usually uh, the season's closed by the time they get here. Um, I think we're in the, the same season as North Carolina, like when they catch them off of, uh, mm. Cape Hatteras. Um, I don't know if it, I mean, you might be able to even get a chance at it, but they swim so fast. It'd be a quick shot. Yeah. <laughs> They're going 10, 12 miles an hour, uh, traveling. I mean, it, you have to get up on a deck. I'm almost on a plane to get around them. If you see them too late. And uh, you go way up ahead of them and then try to drop a bait into them, but pretty difficult thing to do. Yeah, I would imagine that it is, but it seems like seems like maybe there's more more around when you start seeing them underneath the bridge. I don't know. <laughs> to me, that seems like there might there might be a few more around than normal, but maybe there's just one that's lost and makes himself makes him makes himself famous on Instagram. But um, yeah. I don't know. Might so, just be Instagram too. You know, you can just see everything a little more easily. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for sure. Everything's published, like you were saying. Everybody's got a phone, so you're seeing those once in a lifetime sightings that you know you you'll never see or probably never will see, but somebody did. 
Right. Which is always kind of wild. Same thing with the great whites. Like I see these videos of the great whites. Do you guys see any of those? Oh yeah. I've, I've seen them uh, two years back. We were out and, you know, had, had the divers just get out of the water and somebody called me over and we went over and, and saw it, you know, found it right away. It was swimming on the surface. And I asked all the divers on the boat, I said, anybody want to get in the water with them? Nobody raised their hands. So <laughs> we went for a little different spot. Yeah. I don't think I want to. I don't think, I don't even know if I want to get in it with a cage. I saw one of those things go into the top of the cage. That was another Instagram video that went super viral yeah. and the thing comes in and ends up in the cage with the, with the guy that, that did not look like something that was, uh, on the schedule in the morning. That looked, yeah. <laughs> that, looked that looked terrifying, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it would be an incredible experience to, to see an animal like that in the water, but. I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. It's definitely an impressive animal. I can tell you that. Yeah. I would not be in. I've hooked two since in Key West and uh, I've never landed one, but we had, well, actually I only hooked one of them. The other one never, never bit, but um, he chased the 25 pound black pin right up to the side of my motor. This is way back when. And the tuna was just trying to jump in the boat really. And uh, we, I had happened to have a 50 pound rod ready and I put it out and made it a thousand pound animal and he ate it, fought him for 10 minutes and we pulled the hook, but wow, that's pretty cool. Now at that time, like how long ago was that? That was when I had my CBs, probably nineties. So in the nineties was, were people, I mean, I don't know. It, it seemed like for a while people would be kind of like, eh, there's not very many down here, but then I talked to some commercial fishermen and they're like, no, there are, there are. And I even knew people had, had teeth, you know, from, from ones that had been caught whose names will remain anonymous. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I was just kind of surprised like when Chris Fisher comes down and he tags them and then, then you can track these things coming through the keys, how many there were like, as a, as, as compared to how many were tagged. And then all of a sudden you start seeing this thing coming through and coming through and you're like, well, they're obviously here. And I've, I, I mean, I don't spend enough time offshore to, to, to even um, have any kind of realistic expectation that I'm going to see one, you know, maybe, maybe 20 or 30 days a year where, you know, you guys are out there every day for years and years and years. And it's probably, there's still some people that probably do that and still don't see one. Um, but do you think that they're just around than they have been all the time and they're just a, an animal that we don't see very often? Or do you have other thoughts on that? I think they're, they've always been around. Um, I think we're just, you know, more boats on the water. You're getting a few more sightings. Um, and the, I know off Hilton Head, South Carolina, there's a, a huge population, uh, I say huge, but there's a guy up there that catches probably a dozen a year. Yeah, I know. I've been trying to get him on the podcast. He's a little resistant. Uh, yeah, he doesn't like this talk about it. I'm trying to get to go fishing with him. I got a client that knows him, and he's trying to get me to go. They do it in the wintertime mostly. I think it's January and February. Yeah, I'd like to he go. He would be very interested to get on, but he, he resists. He don't want anybody to know his spots. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'll never go back there and I don't even need to be the one fishing. I just like to go there and see it happen. Just, well, if I, if I got, if the, 
I get it hooked up, I'll bring you with. All right. That sounds, that sounds like a deal. I'll go and I won't even touch the rod. I just like to see one, you know, I think, and I don't necessarily want to want it to be in a cage. I'll be on a boat. I'll be plenty happy on the boat. We'll bring Christopher, we'll bring Christopher Robert to do the. Yeah. They could be the underwater diver. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they could be the line winder. Yeah. That is the heavy work. Robert can, Robert can get in the water and take, take pictures and video. Chris, we'll, we'll leave it to Chris, the, the young gun to, to unwind. Yeah. He'll find them. You wind them. (laughs) (laughs) We got a lot of of winding. (laughs) Anyway. Um, all right, man. Well, this was, this was awesome guys. I really have been wanting to get you guys on cause I know I knew that there were going to be some awesome stories and you guys are just a, uh, a legendary fishing, diving outdoor family. We didn't even touch on hunting. I know that you guys all do a lot of that as well, but, um, it's, it's an honor to, to have you on. And, and I really hope that this all uh, blows over and you guys get back out there real quick with, with a full book of business on both the fishing and the diving and, um, get back at it. If people wanted to, to get in touch with you, how would they do it? Uh, I'm RT, uh, spindrift at gmail.com or spindrift fishing is my website. And my phone is 305-797-5693. Uh, for me, Chris Trossett, you can look at uh, Real Fly Charters on Facebook or Instagram. Also, realflyqs.com. Well, if you want to go diving, definitely call Pins Dive Center. Uh, that's with a Z. Uh, or you can just go right online and book it, pinsdivecenter.com, and we'll get out. You can also follow us on uh, Trossett Outdoors, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you know, we're constantly putting new stuff up there. So, you know, check us out, follow the family and show your support. All right. That sounds awesome. Um, I could tell you, I've, I took my boys with RT and, uh, that's a trip that, that they still remember when we caught those mutton snapper off the, uh, off the Marquesas. They, those boys still remember that. That was one of the, that was a great day. Cause that was something that, that they never got to do. And, uh, yeah, I remember, I remember that day. We had a really nice time. Yeah. Well, uh, who, who did we take with us? Uh, Jared through the cast net one, one time in a, in a 25 knot wind and, and caught bait. And if he hadn't have made that throw, we'd have caught Zippo for the day. Still remember that he opened that net pretty much into the wind. I was very impressed. Um, not bad for a flats guy. Yeah, not bad. I tell you what, uh, he had one shot. And literally, the bait was tough that day. Very, very tough. And if he hadn't have made that shot, I, I think we were about to call it, like, for lack of bait. We had been searching for bait for a long time. So he, he made that day for us for sure. And then once, once your dad had the bait, he knew exactly how to crush the fish. There was no problem there. But, man, sometimes that bait, that's the, that's the deal. I guess the bait, the bait this time of the year is also getting quite a – quite a reprieve from the pressure. Yeah, they have. Uh, we've been lucky. There's still some bait around. They usually are pretty much gone now. I mean, but we have been getting, a, a, getting our share of it. So it's made our fishing even better. Yeah. Chris, Chris took me to a spot that uh, we had mangoes up with the live baits and we were having 
eight to 10 pound mangroves jumping in the air, eating these pilchards. And wow. All you had to do was uh, just hit anywhere near where they were, were uh, blasting with a flyer with a plug. I caught a nine and a half pounder, I think, on a little Sabeel lure, and you caught we had some nice ones on the fly. And then yeah. they went back there the next next day without me and went and broke another world record. Wow. So that, that was nice of them. A fly record? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I took out uh, Nathaniel Linville's wife, Kat, uh-huh. from the Anakin Company, and uh, she's a tremendous fly fisherman, but she caught a uh, five-pound mangrove on six-pound tippet. Wow. So just a hook of mangrove that big is on fly is pretty hard to do. I know it is. That's that's really impressive. The impressive thing was we went to another wreck, and that was impressive, but went to another wreck, and she caught two 21. One was 21, and one was 21-and-a-half-pound amberjack on six-pound tippet fly, and wow. uh, that tied the record. Both of them basically tied the record. So... Wow, how many records? How many records does she have now? So I think she only has three. Yeah, I have. I haven't caught one for a, really almost a year, and uh, but that made two thirty nine. So two thirty nine. Two thirty nine. Right on. That's pretty impressive. It was nice to get another one finally. I thought I was losing my touch. Yeah, <laughs> I tell a story about you one time. I was at my one of my earliest. Redbone tournaments, and this is when my eyes were open. Somebody was asking me about tournaments and stuff like that. I was like, "Yeah, you should definitely do tournaments because you know you get in there and you realize that you're not as good as you thought you were, and there are other people that are a lot better than you, and you can learn a lot from every single person that's there." And they were like, "Yo, yeah, like what?" And I was like, "Well, the first Redbone tournament I think I ever went to, R.T. Trossett gave away a trip and he guaranteed a world record." And I was like, "What?" how do you possibly guarantee a world record and you're going to give it away to just anybody? I, that just blew me away. Like I've, I've, I don't know how you were planning on doing it, but I was pretty impressed. Not it a couple of times. So I was <laughs> I <had> one, <laughs> one trip I gave, uh, I actually auctioned at IGFA and it was, uh, world, you get to fish for world records until you catch one or you can fish five days. And uh, a guy bought it and, Second day, he caught a 280-pound bull shark or something on, I think it was 20-pound test. And uh, so I said, hey, you can still fish some more if you want. He says, hell no, I've done what I wanted to do. <laughs> he he went, on, went on about his way. He had a good time. There you go. <laughs> That's funny. All right, guys. Well, thanks for spending a little time with us today. And uh, if you guys want to go fishing with a legendary family or diving, Call up the Trossets. You got their information. You won't be disappointed. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, Tom. All right. See ya. And that was the Trosset family. Man, RT, legendary. Chris following in his footsteps and then then preceding him and, and doing some new and innovative things. And Robert taking all that knowledge and taking it under the water and diving. If you guys want to go... Uh, with them. You've got their information. You can find them in the show notes and uh, you won't be disappointed. Like I said, the, the Trossets are a great family, great bunch of people, and uh, you'll enjoy the fishing as much as you'll enjoy the company. All right. Until next week, we'll see you later.